Welcome to Flint Co. Forward, our ecosystem of innovation. We have an exciting announcement as Flint Co. is working with our client, the Texas Facilities Commission, to produce a multi-part podcast series discussing the redevelopment of the Capitol Complex in Austin, Texas. Texas history is filled with big moments and big characters. The Texas Revolution, Battle of Gonzales, Goliad, and the Alamo. Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, and Lorenzo de Savala are a scant few of the many Texas heroes who made Washington on the Brazos possible. It is with Texas history in mind and an eye on the future that the Texas Facilities Commission has embarked on a once-in-a-generation undertaking, the complete transformation of the Capitol Complex, blending state government with a pedestrian-friendly mall in the heart of Austin, Texas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and for this episode, I'm excited to welcome John Raff to the show. He's the Deputy Executive Director of Facilities Design and Construction for the Texas Facilities Commission. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm excited today because we're going to be talking about the master plan of the Texas Capitol Complex. We're going to be talking about a new vision for the workplace of the state government, as well as an introduction to the Texas Capitol Complex project and, and really kind of dive into a lot of the various factors that, uh, that factor into this project and how John is going about uh, completing this. And so, John, there's a lot to talk about here. But first of all, let's just give everyone a good base layer of understanding and start off here. What is the master plan of the Texas Capitol Complex? You know, it's essentially, I think, a, a roadmap uh, for the development of the state's uh, land holdings in the complex area. Technically, the, the complex is bordered uh, on the west by Lavaca and uh, on the east by Trinity Street and to the north by MLK Boulevard and to the south by 10th Street. But the, uh, the more recent versions of the, of the Capitol Complex Master Plan have focused on, on the holdings uh, north of 15th Street. So uh, the original uh, master plan effort was conducted in, in the 50s, actually, and uh, that was in response to uh, the direction of the legislature and the state leadership at that time. And then we've uh, updated that plan in 1963 and 1989 uh, to respond to uh, various things, including kind of the evolution, I guess, of public culture, how people use space modes of transportation that have developed over the years. And then many times, you know, you just have to update your plan based on what's going on around you and uh, what's changing. And so, you know, the connections and relationships to the surrounding uh, land use that's around the complex. And then, of course, uh, the solutions that you come up with on master plans also evolve. Uh, so, you know, it's the contemporary architectural and engineering solutions to uh, the plan. The, the plan, you know, lays out uh, proposals for the use of the land in the complex to meet the space needs of the state agencies and public spaces, as well as uh, recommendations for, you know, design guidelines for our buildings, uh, the supporting infrastructure, you know, the, the chilled water utilities and the electrical and and uh, those types of things, uh, financing options for how we might pay for uh, future developments of the complex, and and then uh, you know some rough implementation timelines for uh, the development of the master plan, and uh, you know the uh, the plan just in terms of the kind of the organization or the structure of the plan, it's it's uh, framed around 
sort of five focus areas uh, or disciplines, you might call them, including urban design principles, uh, initial design concepts, uh, traffic. We have to study traffic and, and how that factors into the plan. Mm-hmm. Of course, the parking for the employees, state employees, as well as the visitors to the space. And then, then the utility infrastructure. Absolutely. So there's there's a lot to think through there and a lot of various factors. And, and I would assume people that have to sign off on, on these types of things, and we'll get into a, a lot of that later. But you mentioned that this is uh, an update to uh, maybe meet some of the demands and meet some of the ways that people have evolved in terms of how they use space. What, what are some of those changes that occurred and maybe some things that you noticed just about how people are utilizing space differently these days and why the space needed this update uh, to evolve to kind of meet those needs? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with what's been going on around us. And I think probably the most uh, obvious thing is the is construction of the Dell Medical School and, and hospital uh, to the east of us and uh, how, you know, our development within the Capitol Complex will connect to that. Uh, also, over the years, since the last uh, update to this plan, uh, the University of Texas has continued their development to the south. To the, to the edge of their uh, area, which is MOK Boulevard. And of course, they built the Blanton Museum there and uh, actually created a magnificent um, opportunity for us to connect with our pedestrian mall uh, to uh, the campus. And uh, they've taken uh, Speedway, uh, with a north-south thoroughfare that used to go through the campus and actually carry vehicular traffic, and they've converted that into a pedestrian mall. And so now with the uh, with a, a reasonable connection of our development with their development, you have somewhat of an unimpeded uh, uh, pedestrian-focused uh, pathway all the way from, you know, 11th Street at the north edge of the central business district in downtown all the way up to Dean Keaton Boulevard, uh, formerly 26th Street. So... Uh, you know, that's that's a very strong, important connection to us. Also, uh, the very fact that we have a collection of museums with the Blanton Museum, the Texas State History Museum, which has been constructed since the last update to the plan, that creates sort of a little hub there at the intersection of our pedestrian mall and MLK of uh, a cultural district. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we've done in, in uh, planning the building at MLK in Congress is including a space for a cultural venue uh, to, uh, you know, synergize with uh, some of the things that are all already there and create that cultural district. In terms of how space is used, I think the sort of the urban, what what's developed over the years is the outdoor use of, uh, of urban urban type space and the fact that we've transitioned very much from at least in in more densely developed uh, downtown districts we've we've transformed from more of a vehicular based uh, uh, mode of transportation and uh, use of outdoor space to a pedestrian and uh, so the the idea of this uh, pedestrian mall that we're developing on the former right-of-way of Congress, uh, you know, really promotes that and the activation of that space in a pedestrian sense uh, with some very richly planted uh, landscape spaces and 
and uh, you know shade various uh, focal points such as uh, little little breakout areas where you can rest and kids can play uh, amphitheater at the uh, 1801 building for outdoor performances so just a you know real enhancement of uh, outdoor activity uh, in in this space yeah, well, I, I love hearing about that and hearing about uh, areas where civilians can can certainly be pedestrians and very walking friendly. I, I think that that's a, that's a fantastic uh, response just to uh, to the way that people are moving around cities these days. And so I, I love hearing about that. Now, I believe you mentioned this off the top, but th- this is a project that you're tackling in phases, right? So uh, break down those phases for me and kind of what you expect to occur at each one of the phases along the way of, uh, of completing this project. Sure. Well, uh, of course, the, uh, one of the impetuses behind uh, the development of the capital complex is that uh, the state, you know, houses uh, many of our very stable administrative agency functions in lease space. And the cost of that lease space has been rising over the years. And at some point you reach a threshold at which, you know, any owner would would kind of step back and say, you know what, it probably makes more sense for me to, to build my own uh, buildings, my own property and, and inhabit those and save uh, and use the money that I save on what I'm leasing to, to pay for that construction. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, the Austin real estate market has reached a point now where it, it makes fiscal sense uh, for the state to do that. So uh, essentially what we have in our plan, of course, the master plan looks sort of close in, you know, um, myopically at what immediate needs are and needs are just a few years down the road. And then it looks, you know, much further down the road in terms of maximum development of, you know, properties and and that sort of thing. So our sort of close in uh, plan uh, for the next, say, 20 years is a, you know, a three-phase plan of development that, uh, the first two of which uh, pretty much take care of all of the uh, lease space that we currently utilize uh, in in Austin and Travis County and kind of brings it home to the capital complex. That essentially will be accomplished in the first two phases, both of which are authorized by the legislature. Uh, The first phase, of course, uh, as everybody well knows, is is well underway. Uh, we are very close to being complete with the the mask excavation and uh, all three of the uh, projects that are going to backfill into those excavations are have been started and uh, then also the fourth project which is the central plant has been started so uh, we're well on our way on phase one it it's going to build uh, roughly a, a million gross square feet of buildings in the capital complex in the form of, of two buildings and then um, we are authorized to start phase two, which is another 525,000 square feet. And uh, that it will be housed in two buildings, uh, one at the corner of 15th Street in Congress and the other at the corner of 5th Street in Lavaca. So uh, we're just in the planning stages on our procurement uh, for the resources that we need in terms of you know, civil engineers, master architect and engineer and construction manager at risk for those those that second phase of the project so uh the third phase that is 
listed in the plan as being sort of the you know more short-term uh, development of the plan is essentially what we would do in building two additional buildings to house new needs as as the government you know necessarily uh, grows to uh, accommodate the growing size of the economy and the population of the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know those agencies and the services that are provided. You know they they have to expand expand as well, in a conservative sense. And uh, so you know this is when when we come up with new needs, that third phase would be this is what we'll do in the future to satisfy those needs. So that's that's a building. Uh, those buildings are along Colorado Street, which is one block to the west of Congress. And uh, uh, there's there's one uh, at the uh, corner of Colorado and 17th Street. And then the other one sort of stretches from Colorado over to the Congress Pedestrian Mall along 17th as well. And uh, so that's, that's essentially the first three phases. And, um, you know, they'll They'll meet our needs for years to come. So, John, it sounds like there was a tremendous amount of planning uh, that went into this um, this master plan. So, kind of talk me through the, the process for developing the plan and who the major players were in terms of uh, putting it all together and creating this this cohesive uh, look at at this project. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there are a number of meetings. I mean, we we incorporated uh, a, a number of stakeholders. Uh, in in the process, including uh, members and or staff of uh, legislature's joint oversight committee on government facilities, the the state preservation board, uh, the general land office, and the partnership advisory committee. Uh, you know, we have specific uh, we have a in our statute that sort of governs you know the responsibilities of our agency, the Texas Facilities Commission. We are bound to, to update this master plan for the capital complex every two years. And uh, there's a specific sort of chain of approvals that the plan needs to go through. And that, that includes the, the State Preservation Board, the General Land Office, and the Partnership Advisory Committee. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, thorough process uh, beyond the master plan. Uh, when we start to develop conceptual plans for the individual phases, we also uh, engage these stakeholders to help us review those plans and provide their input. And uh, as a, in an addition to that, when we launch off into the development of one of these phases, we engage the, the governor's office, the lieutenant governor's office, and the speaker's office to appoint uh, one person each to an um, advisory committee. These are you know, ar- generally architects ma- and maybe master planning architects. That we call them our expert panel. And uh, they review the concept design uh, for its adherence to the master plan and then also add uh, you know, ideas or input as to how we're developing that phase to to uh, uh, make sure that we're, you know, incorporating best practices and, and, you know, perhaps input directly from leadership's offices in terms of, of what things might enhance those developments. 
So as you put this this plan together and you have it in, in different phases and different packages, part of that was to allow opportunity for broad participation from vendors and you know subcontractors and things along those lines. Can you kind of talk me through the importance of doing that, both from an economic perspective as well as the, the overall vision of the project and allowing as many people as possible to be a part of that? Well, sure. I mean, uh, you know, just you know, in a, in a very general sense, uh, this is a, a project for the state of Texas, for the citizens of the state of Texas, which is, you know, a very, very broad umbrella. And uh, so uh, I think to the, from, from that standpoint, to, to the degree that we can, you know, allow, you know, a very broad and maximum amount of participation from, you know, a large number of vendors, uh, that's, that's important. Uh, for everybody to have, you know, a little bit of ownership in the project for as many people as possible. But, you know, then you do have to get down to reality and being able to wrangle all the all of the uh, participants, you know, sure. and make sure everybody's, uh, you know, dancing to the same tune. So, you know, you have to balance it with that. But then, you know, on top of that, uh, in terms of, you know, my engagement of employment with this agency, I think what's what was stressed upon me early on and uh, something that I've kind of carried on as, I, as I've been able to over the years is to provide, you know, maximum opportunity on all of our uh, capital endeavors. And uh, so, you know, we try to reload and, and resolicit. Uh, we try not to do a lot of authorized to do one project and then there's one that's you know coming along behind it that's associated with it i think there's a temptation for for some public entities to just you know try to change order or uh, add things on uh, to what you already have and i think in some cases that's necessary in terms of the uh, sense of expediency for you know maybe needing to get something done but as much as possible we try to always you know have a fresh start on on uh, projects and and you know wipe the slate clean and and get every, give everybody a, a you know a equal opportunity to uh, participate. So that that's just kind of a general I think ethic of the of the agency in that we we try to provide as much opportunity as we can. And then on top of that, uh, you know we're, we we try to provide as much opportunity for both small contractors and, and hub uh, participants as well and try to promote that opportunity. We have an excellent uh, hub uh, department uh, that, uh, you know, helps con- our larger contractors make connections with, with hub vendors and, and uh, you know, just build those relationships. Uh, construction, like of a lot of other industries, is a people business, and it's about developing relationships and trust. And so that's something we work uh, pretty hard to do. Uh, in terms of the, the pa- you mentioned the packages, uh, the phase one developments, uh, you know, divided into six packages. And, and uh, an- another reason for doing that, and not just giving the, you know, the whole shebang to one very, you know, large contracting contractor, is that uh, I think by splitting it up and, you know, having multiple contractors involved, you've not only kind of spread out the uh, resource uh, that you're drawing from to uh, at the prime level, 
but each of these primes has, you know, a net of subcontractors that works for them. And so by uh, breaking this thing up into, into pieces like we did, I think we cast a broader net for subcontractor resources. And, and that's important these days with the saturation of the market in Central Texas uh, with construction and the fact that, you know, everybody's busy. You know, you're, you know, you're trying to get competitive numbers on subcontractor bids and, and, uh, you know, the more people you can kind of cast that net to and bring to the table to, to participate, I think the more competitive pricing you get and also just the, the mere resources to get the job done. Right, right. So as you're talking about this, one of the things that I, I keep wondering is, you know, what are some of the, the more challenging considerations for a project of this magnitude, right? So I, I would imagine that uh, things like storm drainage uh, and, and things of that nature are things that have to be taken into account on a pretty uh, on a pretty high level. So uh, talk me through some of these uh, major challenges that come when you have a project of this size and of this scope. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that you realize when you go in and redevelop mm, three, four blocks, uh, well, actually, I guess it's a, maybe we're probably impacting about a 12 block area when you consider it all, all said and done. And the fact that, uh, you know, the last time that uh, an area of this size was, was uh, sort of looked at globally you know, was was many, many, many years ago. And so the infrastructure that you encounter is, you know, obviously inadequate. And uh, so, you know, working with the with the city who manages uh, things like the storm drainage infrastructure and the water and the wastewater and, and that sort of thing, uh, you know, we've, we've partnered with them to improve uh, some of these uh, very old and insufficient uh, facilities. So, uh, yeah, we have, uh, in fact, uh, probably the, the, the biggest impact in that sense has been a, a large storm drain that we're building in 18th that's, you know, essentially capturing all uh, much of the water that is drains from the west side of the site on the west side of, of Congress and all the way across uh, our project and down to Water Creek on the east side. So, you know, that's uh, th- that's been a you know, a challenge, uh, both from the standpoint of, of the, of the cost, uh, involved with that, but then also the logistics of trying to get it installed around a myriad of existing utilities that you have to work around. And of course, it's a, a gravity system. I've, I've mentioned this in the past is that, you know, gravity is not negotiable. You have to, you, <laughs> you have to build that system, uh, you know, where it has to go. And so, right. you know, Times there are things in the way that you have to reroute to, to make room for it. So uh, that's, uh, you know, th- there's that. There's uh, just the existing utilities that we, we just had to get out of the way. I mean, this is, uh, if you've looked at the pictures on the, on the website of the excavation, you'll understand that, you know, we've basically created a huge uh, canyon uh, down Congress Avenue with this project. And anything going east-west across Congress, you know, has had to been rerouted or that was in Congress had to be rerouted. And uh, uh, there's, in fact, a truss that is constructed at 18th Street crossing Congress that carries a number of utilities over it. It's, it's a temporary facility. 
that these utilities, once we're done, we will lay back down in the overburden that's over the garage in Congress. Uh, but uh, for the time being, they have to be lifted up on a truss and cross the excavation and then back down on the east side. So, you know, that's just uh, some of the challenges that we've encountered with utilities and uh, uh, keeping buildings operational with chilled water from a plant that's on the west side to buildings that are on the east side of the project and and uh, storm drainage and sanitary sewer and, you know, just all those things you have to, you, you can't just, Tell everybody to go home and and tell you while you build the project, you have to keep things running. So that's that's where we are. Right, right. Well, and you know, like uh, like we're fond of saying here in Texas, John, this ain't your first rodeo. So you've you've seen projects like this in the past. So how has your experience as a structural engineer been valuable during this process and as you continue to to work through this project? Oh, I. I th- I think uh, with regard to that, it's it's as a structural engineer. I mean, just just this excavation. I mean, it's five hundred and twenty thousand cubic yards of material that we that we are pulling out of the ground. Uh, I think if you line up the eighty foot long truck, thirteen yard trucks that would haul that material off, they'd stretch from Corpus Christi to Amarillo and beyond, bumper to wow. bumper. So. Oh. So, so uh, you know, just having uh, worked on structural projects from a structural perspective and, you know, worked on the new airport back in the 90s when we were building the Austin Bergstrom Airport and uh, just kind of understanding what that meant. I mean, it's one thing to kind of draw it on a piece of paper and say, okay, we're going to dig down 60 feet for three blocks and then turn out and go underneath the buildings and you know, just kind of understanding the perspective of that and what that means, uh, all of the things that go into it in terms of shoring, uh, the the hauling of that much material, uh, the time that it takes, what are the risks uh, involved. Uh, interesting thing about uh, that excavation is that, you know, once we got down, you know, a several feet, maybe less than 10, you know, we're, we're digging in uh, weathered uh, limestone and, and bedrock for most of that excavation. So when it rains, the uh, what delays the project is not the work on site. It's where we need to take the material. Hmm. <laughs> so we're not able to, you know, get the material out of the site because we don't have a place that we can go drop it. So uh, I just I, th- I thought that was an interesting uh, tidbit, but um, there's that. We also at some point we decided to relocate the central plant that serves these new buildings on the north side of 15th. Uh, we were originally going to build it south of 15th and then build a tunnel uh, from that location all the way up to uh, you know all close to MLK. It's about a half mile of tunnel, and uh, you know. I think relocating this plant up close to the buildings and then routing the the chilled water through the garage as opposed to through uh, tunnel uh, structures probably saved us a ton of risk and uh, money in terms of tunneling. Tunneling is a very uh, sort of risky uh, prospect in terms of not knowing what kinds of materials you're going to encounter and, you know, having to work around underground utilities that are already there, those kinds of things. So, you know, just just a couple of things like that, I think 
probably helped uh, in my understanding of the development of the project and and also helping to guide it. Right, right, absolutely. So, I, I, as we start to wrap up, I think a question that a lot of people will have, and and I know you touched on this uh, briefly in the uh, in the overview of the project, but uh, kind of talk me through how this uh, how this entire plan is is financed and how something like this is able to come about. Oh sure, yeah. So uh, you know, I probably mentioned earlier that you know a lot of the impetus behind this is is essentially uh, moving a lot of our state agencies out of leased space uh, into state-owned uh, buildings. Uh, you know, state-owned buildings. We have a number of them that were built in the 50s and the 60s, so they're you know in the 60 to 70 year old range. Uh, we like to say that the buildings that we are building now, uh, you know will have good bones, good infrastructure. They'll, they'll be, they're here to last. They'll have an 80 to a hundred year lifespan. Uh, and uh, so essentially by uh, moving these agencies out of the leases and the savings that uh, uh, we would have from the, from not having to, you know, lease space for them will generate revenue essentially or, or savings uh, for the state and that those funds that were used to, to pay leases could be uh, used to pay back bonds, essentially, for the construction. And uh, so uh, we're using what's called revenue bonds uh, for the construction. Those are bonds that don't require a, a public referendum for approval. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that there's a source of revenue that's either generated already being generated or generated by the project that's being built, which essentially is the lease savings, uh, to pay those bonds back. So uh, our uh, rough calculations uh, right now uh, are that, uh, you know, early on when we were developing uh, the master plan, it looked like we were looking at something like a 37-year return on investment. And... uh, uh, but uh, that's improved, of course, as the uh, real estate market in Austin continues to do what it does and, and uh, pricing going up. Uh, you know, this is uh, aside from what might be happening here more recently with the, <laughs> with the COVID uh, pandemic crisis and, and that sort of thing. But, but uh, you know, it's I, I think our our return on it has has come down a good number of years uh, and we may be in the you know mid 20s now in terms of our, our return on investment which is you know that's a that's a good investment in real estate and uh, especially with the longevity of the of the uh, facilities that we're building well, I've absolutely loved getting uh, a little bit more detail on the ta- Texas Capital Complex uh, master plan and, and hearing a little bit more of the granular information just about how this project comes about, uh, the work that goes into it. And uh, I- I'm excited to continue to follow this with interest just to, to see how things continue to go moving forward. So John Raff, Deputy Executive Director of Facilities Design and Construction for the Texas Facilities Commission. John, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and uh, sharing this information with us. You are most welcome, and stay tuned. The, uh, the end result of this project is going to be spectacular. You're really going to like it.
Thank you for listening to this special episode of Flint Co. Forward. And remember, this is a special series, so we'll be back next month with our next episode. But until then, make sure you subscribe to Flint Co. Forward on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest from Flint Co.